Hi, and welcome to the, I don't know, 12th podcast? 14th. 14th Carrier's Edge podcast. I am one of the Carrier's Edge co-founders, Jane Jezrawi, and here with me as always is... Mark Morrell, other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. So here we are. And you're staring at me blankly because we didn't talk about <laughs> what our agenda for today's session is. We have is. no agenda. Well, it's just sort of a random discussion of things that we've encountered. And it's August, so I'm still in summer vacation Yeah, it's the, it's the depths of summer. It's a relaxed time. And this is, for us, on a personal level, the last time we'll be able to do a podcast in here in relative silence for quite a while because we're about to start with some major construction. Mm -hmm. Our in, kitchen is being ripped apart. Yes, the studio facility. Our beautiful 1991 kitchen is being transformed. Into something a little more modern. So it's going to be a lot of banging and noise for four to six weeks. We're which not going to do a podcast in the house while that's going on. Well, we'll have to arrange something. Got to yeah, keep to the not, schedule, right? Yeah, well, we'll have to do it at night when, when oh, it's done. Oh, we're not good at night. Well, well we're not would, doing it during the day. Well, we'll see. Well, there's banging. The, the nighttime podcast would be a whole lot different. And maybe that's a whole different direction maybe. that we should be taking it in. Yes, and we can talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> or whatever thing that we're ranting about. Usually by the end of the day, we've got something that we're frustrated by or having an opinion on one way or another, enraged by. So there can be a lot of finger tapping and, and another thing that's yeah. wrong with this guy. We haven't done that recently. Well, then we're overdue. So there I we guess. go. That's, Nothing is, see, we're in our, vacation mode. Nothing is really getting on our nerves. That's our next podcast, Our collective nerve. <laughs> yes. The yep. carrier's edge nerve. Well, I had a call. I was talking to a customer yesterday who asked me, you know, what have we been up to for the summer? And I'm like, I don't even really know. I wrote a course. Yeah, we've stuff has been done. Yeah, you wrote a course. I'm writing another course. And we've done uh, a lot of things on the platform side and on the marketing side. Lots of stuff is happening. But because it's the depths of summer and my brain is not really working in its normal way, um, I have to really think about it to uh, figure out what it is <laughs> that I can report when people say, you know, what have you been, been doing? doing? a lot of thinking work. A lot of thinking work. Yes, that is true. So I think working on my course yeah, authoring what we tool. Can, what we can do today is review what we have been doing, what we've got coming up. Uh, you've got coursework uh, yep. in progress as mm -hmm. always. And we've got some things that are happening on our learning management system. We've got some upcoming activities as we look at the end of summer. And shortly after this podcast goes out, we will be launching the 10th anniversary edition of the Best Fleets to Drive Tenth For anniversary. program. Hard to believe that we've been doing this for that long, but uh, that should be quite an adventure. Um, I don't so know. I think it'll be that. pretty much the same. Just be number 10. We think it's always going to be the same, but then there's always new things that come up. So, Well, the information we get is different. The process is the same. Yeah, we change it a little bit, and then we'll probably do that again. So that's something that we have to do in the next couple of weeks is mm -hmm. look at what we want to do to add to the questionnaire, what questions we want to add for this year to make it even more difficult for people. And uh, some of them to take away or modify. Yeah, what things we can remove, what things we can We need adjust. to do that quickly. We should do yeah, that Yeah, we have soon. to do it before it launches. Yeah. So we have to do that uh, in August, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get that going. And something else that occurred to me that I wanted to 
just mention briefly, because uh, I've been looking at the stats for this podcast, and I can see the numbers of times that it's been downloaded and the number of times that it's been streamed, but I have no idea who it is that's actually doing that. I have no idea if it's customers, if it's partners, if it's competition. Random, random people. Random people. Is it just bots that are just <laughs> <laughs> streaming it because uh, they're going to come and try and charge us later for it or something? Or is it just staff? I don't know. So uh, I'm putting a, um, a message out to all of those listening. Please contact me and let me know. If you're one of the people that uh, listens to this podcast, let me know. Uh, I think all of you have my contact info. Uh, if not, I mean, mark at carriersedge.com is not that difficult um, to uh, to remember. But uh, send me a message and let me know if you're one of the people listening to this podcast because it's also worth noting that this is coming up on a year since we started doing these podcasts. Really? Oh, I guess we did start in the, in the summer. We did. We launched the first one, I believe it was early September last year. So this is kind of our... Uh, anniversary on the podcast as well. And we've tried a few different things throughout the year. And we've got some other ideas of different things that we want to explore with this. But if you're one of those people, and we seem to have a group that kind of regularly listens to it, because the numbers are fairly um, consistent from one episode to the next. So I would love some feedback on what people like, what they want to hear more of, uh, and what things they would like us to shut up about. (laughs) (laughs) So... There we Our are. kitchen reno. Yeah. Although know. that it, might be interesting. That might be the most interesting part of it. Although we kind of hired people and went, okay, you do it. Yeah. Yeah. As we do with uh, many most of these, things. Yeah. these uh, home renovation and building projects. All the things that all of our customers do themselves, Yeah. we get other people to do. We're more in, we operate in the head. Yes. Not in the well, hands. Well, I learned long ago that I am not handy. You're not. It's <laughs> true. I survived uh, doing summer jobs in labor and construction and things like that. I got by not too badly, but I am not a handy person. And I learned that a while ago. So what I am very good at is calling somebody else to come and do it. <laughs> I'm very good at picking up a phone uh, or sending an email and finding a person who's good at it and qualified and having them do it. And I will stay out of their way. I will give them general guidance and let them deliver their expertise. But I am not going to build these things on my own. One of the weird things I think about me is that I don't care. (laughs) I just don't care. Yeah. I don't care if there's a pillow here or if there's an ornament here. I'm vaguely aware of the state of my house. (laughs) So, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I kind of, I know about colors and things. Well, yeah, you know a, the things you don't like. That's yeah, for sure. I know what I don't like. But in terms of going into a room and saying, okay, here's this 3D space that I have to make look nice. Now, 2D spaces on a yeah. computer, I can make look really awesome. Yeah. 3D spaces in real life, I'm like, well, the 3D space on a computer, lost. we can do a lot with too. But take it out of a computer and put it in the real world. Yeah, real world stuff is hard. Yeah. Like I said, we live in our heads. We do. Uh, Now, we appreciate the good work that people do. Oh, God, yeah, because we're paying them for it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with this. I think it's going to be quite an adventure, and I think it's going to make our lives a whole lot better once we get over the hump and all the work is done. Uh, But it will also make for an entertaining podcast, I'm sure, when we... uh, moan about our struggles uh, 
and all of the disruption and stuff. So that's what's uh, coming up with us. Um, and uh, to start off with, in terms of actual work-related things. Actual work? Actual work-related things. Let's talk about what you're currently working on, because you've got a very interesting topic that you're working on for a course. I am working on the course with no fixed name. It's a course that is on the... Basically, everything you're doing when you're coming off the highway. So this is getting to your shipper location and how to travel around the yard, how not to hit anything, how to act, um, how to maneuver around a truck stop. So there's a little bit of, I know you don't like this word, but a little bit of fixed object, collision avoidance, a little bit of... um, you know, what to do when you're backing, so the whole 360, get out and look, that kind of thing. But also um, a bunch of stuff about how to plan for the trip and not plan your driving, but plan your stopping. So, you know, where are you going to stop? Are you going to stop in the middle middle of the busiest time and one of the busiest pilot Uh, locations that you can find or you're going to try and plan it so that you can go at an easier time where you're not going to necessarily be at risk for getting hit um plan like make sure that you know where you're going to so not necessarily just the address but what address is that is that the office or is that the entrance to the yard because if it's the office then you're going to be trying to find the yard and that's going to be a delay and annoyance and frustration and the whole idea of distraction when you are when you sort of reach your destination and it's not like when you actually reach your destination and stop but it's that whole part of the trip where you've come off the highway and you're nearly there and that's when people kind of lose it like they stop thinking about their driving because they're thinking about oh I'm here the fatigue catches up with them. They, you know, all of the things that they have to do, they start thinking about it. So this is where a lot of companies talk about, you know, all of these little incidents that happen that add up and cost money and they don't really know how to prevent them. So sometimes they just write them off, but it's really something that can add up and add up. So, um, teaching drivers sort of best practices about how to maneuver your truck in these little spaces is, is a good, Mm. is a good overview. I just don't know what to call it. Yeah. Well, it started as a request from a customer for for something that they called uh, parking lots and deliveries and driving in tight spaces. And it's kind of expanded from there. The original request came because um, somebody was asking if we were looking at doing something like that. And I said, well, we already have a course that covers backing techniques. We've got turns and curves and all of those sort of the the technique type things. Um, And he said, yeah, but there's like, what about all of these odds and ends around this little bits of things that you deal with when you're in a delivery, backing up to a dock and all of that kind of stuff, specifics around that. So it's kind of like an advanced um, defensive driving course or something. It's and like it's like defensive driving at slow speeds. I guess, yeah. Because you're really you're thinking about not hitting overhead things like tree branches or you know uh, we call them hydro poles, but mm-hmm. uh, utility poles and 
and those things or dumpsters on the ground, that kind of stuff. Like that's not really advanced. It's just It's basic. So why is like why is that such an well, issue? It's an issue because like I said, people kind of get complacent when they've you know, when they have done the hard work of highway driving and mm. the hard work of like really um, busy street type of driving and then they get to the place they're going to and they start getting complacent, which mm. is a normal human reaction and something that you constantly have to fight against when you're driving, especially for long periods of time. So you just stop seeing things. And I just finished a course on distracted driving, which was quite a, it's kind of nice that I did them in this order because now in my head I'm thinking about all of these things with distraction and you just stop seeing stuff. So you go into a yard that you've been in a million times before and in the last six weeks when you haven't been there, someone moved a dumpster, hmm. you may not notice. Right. You may just go in and go on autopilot and end up hitting something that was never there before, but you just didn't see it because you weren't looking because it was never there. Well, that's what you were talking about in the last podcast, a little bit about that perceived reduction in danger when you do something regularly, yes. familiarity, I forget what you called it, but... Familiarity with risk. Yeah, no. whatever that was, but it's kind of the same thing. When you go into this lot regularly, you, you stop worrying about it because you think you know it, and then the situation changes and you're at a disadvantage. Problems and that, come up. And it kind of, so it's not advanced driving. It's more, it's more keeping yourself alert. Yeah. And, and when you do, like, when you do training, even when you know all the material anyway, it's good to basically review it and sort of kickstart your brain and go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And, oh, yeah, I should be doing all of these checks. I should be getting out and looking and, and all of that. Even when you're experienced, it's not going to – it does help. It help, mm. It also gives you a little – I don't know. It's kind of like mental stimulation. And uh, we've had kind of – in a, it's real, kind of related, but in our life – we have construction going on, and Mark's going to laugh. We've got construction going on on one of the main streets that's uh, the sort of a thoroughfare in our that goes between two major streets in our town. So the whole uh, street to the south of us, which was how most people went from one major street to another, is closed, completely closed. So now, of course, people are using our street, which is a suburban street, which has about a billion stop signs going through it. And uh, so I guess people were complaining about people speeding and not stopping at stop signs. And so, of course, we have the uh, valiant York Regional Police uh, coming out and ticketing people. And at the time, I realized that we don't, because I had to be more vigilant about stopping, because there's like, I don't know, there's got to be like 10 stop signs along the street. It That whole stopping for two seconds, like actually stopping at a stop sign, because it like I have gone through these stop signs for the last, what, 20 years? We've been here, what, 15 years? So I've been going through these stop signs for 15 years and not really noticing anymore how long I actually stop for. And there was a woman that I was talking to and I was saying, you know, the police are actually enforcing, like, you have to be careful because there's a lot of police out. And she said, uh, 
oh, how long are you supposed to stop for again? (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, oh, my God, you don't even remember how long you're supposed to stop for. Yeah. So it was. You you get into these habits, and I guess that's why, you know, all of these things happen around home, more of the collisions and things happen close to home and in familiar places because you get complacent and you stop thinking about it. So, yeah, it could be the same thing in uh, with deliveries and yards. And I think that's probably what happens. We get a lot of the uh, uh, questions about, um, you know, courses for safe entry and exit of the vehicle. And there's something that drivers do a bunch of times every day. They get complacent, they stop paying attention, and they don't, if they haven't built the right habit from the beginning, then it's easy to sort of, let it slide and let it slide. And, and then one day they jump down. Yeah. And, yeah, and break their ankle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or twist their, twist their leg or do something which basically ends up being a workplace injury. Right. Or they jump down from the back of their, um, their back of their flatbed mm-hmm. or from the back of the, the trailer. And that's also something you're not supposed to do. And something that was pointed out that you mentioned about landing gear is using mm-hmm. one finger to, mm-hmm. to turn the landing gear. Yeah, so all that stuff is being covered in this new course, coupling, uncoupling, dealing with the back doors. Um, so are you going to cover flatbed stuff too in there or some of that stuff too? Uh, or is this just going to be a van course? It's not going to be really – I don't it, – it's not going to be specific mm. because I'm going to mention – you know, when it applies to different, like, for example, jumping off the back of your trailer, mm-hmm. that's probably going to apply more to flatbed. But, you know, so I will. But people jump down from the back of their open trailers. It's the same thing. Yeah, I'm just thinking that backing up to a dock and opening and closing the doors the right way, stuff like that, that's stuff that isn't going to apply to the flatbed and tanker people the same way. So maybe we should put something in there that... Um, Know, that is for them, you know, their side of the deliveries, whatever their equivalent is. They're not backing their tanker up to a dock. They're pulling it up to a place where they're going to be loading or unloading. And maybe we should, I don't know, maybe there's some issues around that as well that we should address. Yep. I can look at that. Yeah. Like I'm still, it's still, still early, 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 early days. You're still and in the research stage, which is in some ways the most fun part because you keep coming across all of these things and, you know, you find, and at this point in just about every course, I can tell you, Jane comes to me and says, oh, I'm seeing this and this and this and this. And it's all the same information across all of these different people. Everybody's repeating the same thing. And that's oh, exactly the same words. Exactly the same <laughs> yeah. words or it's the same slides with the same bullets. And that's where we know that we've really found the heart of a subject that needs a real course because everybody's just regurgitating the same thing over and over without really explaining what it is. And you end up continuing to dig into it because you're trying to figure out what's really going on. All of these people are just regurgitating the same thing that doesn't really explain it. So uh, how do you really figure it out? Like that issue that you had with, uh, I think it was in the inspection course, with air brakes. When should you, at what point should you be testing the air brakes or something like that? Nobody in any of these other inspection courses or videos or any of this other material ever really gave a process of when you should be doing the different things. They had all of the same points and they regurgitated the exact same um, bullets on 
how to do specific parts of it, but nobody had the encompassing process. You had to actually go out and watch some people do it and then talk to some different people and say, when do you do this? Or when do you when do you set the air brakes and when do you release them? Because you have to you have to look at the pushrod stroke when they're set and when they're released. And so people were always talking about the difference between set and released, but they were only looking at the specific like one break as right. the example. They never they never did the whole, you know, you're gonna go around the entire truck while they're set and while they're released and and look at each mm-hmm. one. And I couldn't figure out when you would even do that or when you would check the lights. Yeah. At what stage in the process should you be doing that? Yeah. Do you turn on the lights right away and look at them? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that, but what about the brakes? So, so when do you set the brakes? Yeah. So we got that. We did figure it out. But mm-hmm. you're kind of at that point with this course as well, where you're starting to see sort of the same things over and over. Well, there's one particular thing because... Um, we've had requests for um, how to avoid accidents in parking lots, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, truck stop parking, mm-hmm. parking lots. But at first, I was trying to find information on just parking lots, and that just ended up being eternal how to back in, how to back in. But then I, when I changed, I kind of changed up my search a little bit and started searching for truck stops. And I started, that was when I started seeing the same, someone has written an article with eight tips about trucks parking at truck truck stops. And that has been regurgitated (laughs) over and over and over again with pretty much all eight points. But sometimes they're slightly different. I guess that people start with the basic eight points and then they and then they make it different. And that's often the, the carriers themselves are doing mm. it. So there isn't really a lot of information about truck stop parking. And I thought that the truck stops, well, you suggested the truck stops themselves should actually say mm-hmm. things about truck stop yeah, parking. Best and practices. Nope. Huh. Well, no, they just want you to fuel up and buy things. Yeah. So. Well, it's going to be an interesting course. Uh you're all, you always say that. Well, they always end up interesting. The, the adventure the that you go through. You know, they start with this idea, which this one we've actually got sort of a handful of elements that have been requested. Because know, it's, it's coupling, annoying. uncoupling, it's backing to the dock, it's, you know, safe entry and exit. There's a bunch of different things that have been requested. Usually we don't even get that. Usually we just get a request that is, do you have a course on X? And it may be like one word or two words. Well, fixed then, object. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, fixed object training. Like, oh. what? <laughs> that sets me off. I know, I know. It's your favorite word. So, it's like uh, a, it's like if I want to make you mad, I just say fixed object. Yes. And so I, I wrote a, a LinkedIn article about it probably a year ago. And uh, that kind of... I don't know. It quieted down after that. Like people saw my article and stopped mentioning it to me, stopped asking me about it. <laughs> like, don't say it's, that it's, to him. It's, it's faded down the list a little bit. So people have forgotten and it's coming up again. So my beef with fixed object is that I don't think it's really a thing. People say, oh, do you have fixed object training? We got we get all of these fixed object collisions. So we got to have fixed object training. So I don't think that's a real thing because... That's not the problem. So what do you teach people in there? Avoid a fixed object, do a bad turn as long as there's nothing to hit, or you know, you only you have to do a the good turn when there's something there in the way. It totally misses the point. So my well, whole article was about focus on the behavior, not the outcome of the behavior. Well, exactly. And that's sort of the distraction 
is is the behavior. Um, lack of planning is the behavior. Lack of communication about what the you know, things like where the entrance is and what things to look out for. There's a whole, there's a whole lot of process around how to avoid collisions with fixed objects, which is a thing, but it's not training. Fixed object collisions are basically what insurance companies call a vehicle colliding with something that is not another vehicle. Mm-hmm. Like it or or a person or anything like that. So if there's a an object on the ground and you collide with it, that is a fixed object collision. That's all that is. There's no training necessarily right. around that, but people call it fixed object. It should you could also call it property damage training. Yeah. And that makes almost as much sense because well, it's like, what are you, are you training people to damage things or? See, the, the problem that I have is that there's a lot of training out there that feeds into that myth that mm-hmm. there is something about it. So there's a lot of people that have courses that are fixed object collision courses, and they just teach you how to avoid hitting things, which is completely missing the point. So if you teach people to turn properly, then whether or not there's something there, they're going to turn properly. If there is something there, they're not going to hit it because they've turned properly. Or backing, backing. yeah. They back in properly. The backing techniques don't change because there's an object in the way. You should still be doing it the right way. So focus on the behavior and focus on teaching people to do that stuff the right way. And that's what I think your course will probably focus on is reminding them of all the things that they probably already know. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, it's likely not an issue that they don't know how to back up to a dock. It's that they're distracted and not paying attention. So it's really, in some ways, it's going to end up being kind of an advanced distracted driving course. Or avoiding distractions level two. It it will be partly that. I don't think it's going to be that much because the first, there's three topics that I've sort of figured out. I thought it was going to be a one-topic course, but now it's three, three short ones. Okay. Um, and the and it's basically there's three stages of a delivery and that's planning the delivery, which is I'm not talking about planning the route. I'm talking about planning basically what happened the last yeah the last bit of it when you're approaching the place you want to be at. Do you know where it is? Do you know the best way to get to it? How this and how are you going to avoid the distractions? So you know. Get, get off your phone, get off your GPS, like do all, of, you know, all of that good stuff. And then the second topic is arrival, which is, okay, so you have, here you are at the gates, so now what do you do? And so make sure you have all of your, like the whole dealing with the staff, make sure you have everything. And that's an important part to add in there yeah. is how to be nice to the staff. How to be courteous, how to yeah. be professional. Which we put in the border crossing course, and that's something that isn't covered in a lot of other training programs, is how to act like a professional and be courteous to these people and basically make them your friend rather than yeah. starting off by annoying them. And it you really have to deal with it no matter what they're doing to you. You have to be or handle it the best way that you can. Mm-hmm. And then and then Part of the course is going to be about providing feedback to your carrier, which is also hugely important. So if the information that you got at the beginning about where the location was is wrong or you got the main office rather than the yard address, so you can give that feedback. You can give feedback about there's no washrooms or what they wouldn't let 
you know, there's nowhere for my dog to go. Mm -hmm. There's like all these kinds of notes that carriers want to know. You know, it's actually just made me think of something. When I was talking to a customer yesterday, one of the things that came up is they're all owner-operator fleet and they're moving their people into e-logs. And most of their uh, contractors are there, but they get a, some, a few that are kind of stragglers. And one of the things that's coming up with e-logs, of course, is you're on site and you're parked and sort of the, you're off duty, but you know you can't move for a certain number of, of minutes or a certain amount of time. And sometimes that butts up against what the customer wants or what the, um, you know, the person that you're dealing with there in the yard um, and they're like, well, you got to get out, you're done, you got to move. And, you know, the e-log says you can't. So there's some conflict there that comes up. And that's been a challenge for these people a little bit that they're working on saying, okay, you know, you don't deal with that directly. If that's the situation, you explain it to the customer. If they still aren't cool with it, then call us and we'll take care of it. So I can see that being more and more of an issue because there's a lot of these places uh, a lot of these shippers that are like, okay, you're done, get out of here. I don't care about your logs. You know, I don't care about what your time is. That's your problem to deal with. Um, but the e-log is going to make it an awful lot harder to do that. Yeah, the whole, and well, we've been talking about that in Best Fleets for a few years now about how e-logs are making it, you have to have more cooperation with shippers. Yeah. And shippers, um, like sometimes it's, you know, some of the better fleets are actually making it that the driver has nothing to do with it at all. Yeah. So the driver just, you know, basically sends in a code and then, you know, and if their waiting time becomes too long, then the driver doesn't even do anything. The The uh, carrier just immediately contacts the shipper. So the driver is out of it, which I think is the best way to handle it. Oh, I mean, sure. if, if the driver is sitting there and is sitting there for like, you know, two more hours than expected and the shipper isn't doing or the dock staff isn't doesn't seem to care it isn't doing anything about it having the having the driver handle that is just a recipe for disaster yeah that is just you know people who have no power arguing with each other because the <laughs> yeah. dock staff has no power the driver has no power in this situation the yeah. what needs to happen are the people who have the power the people who can actually figure out a solution need to talk to each other and that's when you know what? That's when it doesn't. That's when real problems happen. That's when people drivers start quitting. That's when you know people start hitting each other <laughs> and things like that. Well, I wonder if it's worth adding a point or something in the course as, as sort of a, a reference or an example of that kind of situation because I can see that certainly in the near future. You know, for the first six to twelve months after e-logs become the law, there's going to be a lot of people that take time to get used to that and mm -hmm. need, um, you know, on both sides of it that are used to doing things a certain way are going to have to change that. So it may be worth pointing that out in the course as an example of a situation that you may have to encounter and how to deal with that. Um, you know, you're talking about communicating with the carrier and how to communicate with the carrier in that situation or whatever. Ask your carrier what their policy is, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Well, that's if I'm telling you this, it's going in the course. Ah, okay. Ah, I don't like, I don't, if I'm talking about a course and I start talking about stuff, you know it's going to end up in the course. Well, that specific example of e-logs, you didn't come up until yesterday. Well, the other thing about e-logs, 
and this probably isn't going to go in the course because this is just my opinion. Well, I think it's a lot of people's opinion is that shippers really need to have some skin in the game. Mm. Like it's, you know, having all of the regulations about driver time focused on the driver and the right. carrier, I think is really unfair. The shipper should have, should be required to have some sort of cooperation with the carrier. Like there should be, you know, if somebody is out of hours, then the shipper should be fined if they... Well, I think that's starting to happen. I've heard people talk about at conferences that uh, when things go to court, when there's a problem, they not only look at the carrier, but they're starting to look beyond that at the customers as well and saying, are you, uh, you know, what are you requiring people to do? Are you supporting them? Are you encouraging them to break the law? That kind of thing. Uh, because the, those, the shippers have got deeper pockets than the trucking companies in most cases. So there's issues there. Uh, there's liability on the shipper in terms of how much they're vetting the carrier and are they fo- forcing them to follow the rules and all of that sort of thing. So they are starting to look at um, the shippers as well. And I think that's a smart idea. It's a, it's yeah. a good way to get them in the game. There's nothing that uh, gets people paying attention more than a couple of lawsuits or showing up in court. But it's too bad that the enforcement is really focused on the driver. Well, that's the other side of so, it. The enforcement's not even part of that picture. Yeah, that's just so, somebody suing and looking for more people to collect money from. And lawsuits, I mean, they may may work and they may draw attention to things, but having a regulation that people have to follow. It's the wrong way to solve the problem. You have law enforcement for a reason. Well, if you have law enforcement only on one end of the equation, yeah. then that's useless. Have yeah. If you're going to have law enforcement, have law enforcement. And the and regulation has been updated, or regulation does spell out that it's the driver and the carrier that have responsibility there. So they've got two. They need to bring in the third one. Have that third one, yeah. And uh, say that uh, any, any shipper who... Um, who requires it or suggests it or encourages it or whatever is equally liable. Yeah, I think so. so. I just think it's, I mean, not necessarily more regulation, but have equal regulation. If you want to have regulations at all, then have it be equal amongst all parties. Don't Mm -hmm. have one part of the equation just be like, hey, you know, we're doing, we're not, we don't have to do this. We don't have to worry about your hours of service. Hmm. And, you know, because there isn't anything specific mm-hmm. and there's no paper trail, there's no, well, there yeah. probably is, but it's just, I don't know. It always seems to <laughs> me that it's just kind of unfair. Yeah. Well, the adventure of every course, right? Every time there's a course, we go down this road of exploring and digging into details and figuring out things that we have opinions on. Oh, we have opinions and on everything. <laughs> it's this winding road that ends up in a half hour or one hour long course. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There's the uh, how the sausage is made. Well, I think anybody who listens to this gets a, a, has a good idea of how the made. sausage is made. But it, it kind of relates to uh, another subject that I was writing about this week. Um, in my most recent LinkedIn article, and I was talking about the times when really training isn't the answer at all. And what? <laughs> I'm being facetious. I know training, training is, often, is always the answer. You know, training is not always. Training the is answer. often not the answer. So training sometimes makes it worse. Well, and it kind of came out of like one of the comments um, when you were exploring ideas for this course. One of the things was. And I think it may have come from a customer and you heard it from a partner as well, is how do we help people not get hit in truck stops? And 
then you know there's a, a particular customer that was asking about that and their drivers are parked properly but they're still getting hit well what are we going to do about that if they're already parked properly they're following the best practices and somebody else hits them you know what would what should they do differently to avoid that and if there isn't something that they should be doing differently that they're unaware of, then it's really not a training situation. And there's lots of times that that comes up where there's a problem uh, that somebody has and they're like, oh, do you have training on this? Well, no, that's not really a training issue. But this whole thing about getting hit, I can sort of see it because what happens is it's not necessarily that the driver wasn't parking properly. It was, are you parking at a truck stop that's full are you parking, are you choosing the best parking spot? Well, like, they, often you, they don't really have a lot of options there. Well, uh, you get to the there are, apparently, apparently, apparently you can, if you are closer to the city, then they tend to be more busy as, a, as you get further out. But that's another thing that where, you know, there are best practices around not getting hit. And that is... And that's part of that whole eight points in the truck stop thing is that try to park between people who don't look like they're going anywhere. Try to park, um, you know, don't park um, when it's really super busy. I can't remember the rest of them, but there's a bunch of them. But part of it is that um, there isn't anywhere to park. Right. And there's rest. Oh, there's also the idea of parking at rest areas rather than parking at truck stops. So there are or park in a pull through spot if you can find one and, and that kind of thing. But the, I think it's just a failure of of being able to explain what it is that they want. And so they say, you know, how do I get, you know, stop my drivers from getting hit because they're doing everything perfectly? Well, first of all, they're probably making some bad choice about where they're parking even though they parked between the lines there's probably some bad choice that they that they made and then the second part is you know where are you telling your people to park you know when how are you figuring out the routes are there better routes that you could use are there so that whole stop people from hitting you is not really a change in other people's behavior it's a change in their own behavior but it's not just a change in the driver's behavior it's a change in the planner's behavior a change in the carrier's behavior as well so there's a lot of factors that go into whether someone is going to get hit at a, at a truck stop and you know, carriers talking to this truck stop owners, like if these truck stops have little tiny parking spots or they have, you know, trucks have gotten bigger. So if you have a truck stop that's old and it still has smaller spaces that would be fine for trucks 30 years ago, but are not fine for trucks now, then that's an issue with the actual truck stop. And so you shouldn't go there. Well, that was kind of my point is that not everything is solved by a course for a driver. You know, that's not necessarily a problem that is going to be completely solved by putting a driver in front of a course. You know, you get to talk, like you say, talk to the truck stop owner. The planners need to be doing something different. There's a lot of different pieces that are involved there. So there are times when people just assume that everything is a problem that should be solved with a course for a driver. So that often doesn't end up working because there really isn't anything there. Yeah, you can teach the driver everything they need to know about that, but they may, may still have problems because none of these other things have been solved. So I wanted to spend some time sort of thinking about that and talking about 
what other things should you be looking at? Like, or maybe it's a case where it is something that the driver can change exclusively, but it's not really a training issue because the driver's already been trained, but they're not doing it because they're, I don't know, they're disengaged. They're not paying attention. They're unhappy. They're stressed and cutting corners or they know what to do, but they're just not able to execute it or something like that. There's all of these other things that really aren't training issues that are more behavioral issues and maybe a cheat sheet or an infographic or some other kind of reminder is a better solution to that. Perfect example that comes up is, do you have a course on seatbelts? My favorite. (laughs) Why? Who in North America doesn't know they should be wearing a seatbelt? That's not a training issue. You know, a training issue is a behavior issue. Training issue is a lack of knowledge. You add the training, it fills in the knowledge that helps to solve the problem. So putting somebody in front of a course that teaches them about the importance of seatbelts is just a waste of their time and it's an insult to them. And it's never going to work. I can't imagine anybody having that actually working. I think it's the same thing with e-logs and it's, or the same thing with log books where people knew how to do their logs, but they just chose not to because of other influences that were happening. Right. And what's happening now with e-logs is it's really taking a lot of that out, a lot of the decision-making out from the hands of the, or even the carriers, sometimes carriers don't want their, you know, don't really care if people run legal or not. So there's a big outcry now because it's making everybody work to the same parameters. Mm -hmm. But I think, and it will probably be nasty for a while, but in terms of hours of service, I think it was not so much a training issue as a will everybody follow the same rules issue. It was a behavior issue for, and sometimes it was about not understanding yeah, there was them, some but knowledge, a lot but of that was only part of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. People could know exactly what the rules are and what they're supposed to be doing. But if they've got a dispatcher saying, oh, come on, you can just go, it's only 10 minutes. Go ahead. Yeah. You can do it. Or they've got a shipper saying, I don't care. Get out of my lot. You know, I don't care what your rules are. You can't stay here. Then... That's or if you happened. get a, if you end up at a shipper that doesn't have anything close to it, mm-hmm. so what do you do? So you end up driving, you know, when you're out of your hours to try and find a safe place to park in the middle of the night. Yeah, you know, that's what would happen to a lot of drivers is that they would end up, you know, they have to go somewhere, and you don't want to park at the side of the road. I mean, like, yeah, well, that's what we heard from uh, customers um, that. Uh, did work in California, Inland Empire in particular was particularly bad because there's so much trucks coming and going that when you're unloaded, they kick you out because there's five other trucks lined up behind that need to come in and unload. And even if you're out of hours, they don't care, get off the lot. So yeah, they do have trucks lined up at the side of the road just parked because you know that's the only what way for them to, to do something. Yeah. And the thing is, that's not a train. Yeah, like you said, that's not a training issue. That's an issue that the drivers and the dock staff cannot control at yeah. all. They have to. They are following processes that are forced on them by their their organization. But the economic factors, basically, and take that another step further. So that driver gets a, an hours of service violation. Uh, you know, they're, they're put out of service because they've got a violation. They get caught doing that. So the carrier has got a system that automatically assigns training based on uh, different activities. So you got a violation, boom. 
or you got a heartbreaking incident, boom. Oh, how insulting is that? <laughs> so this, oh. this driver, you got the automatic assignment through the system without looking at it. Okay, you got a violation, but you get put into training. The driver didn't have any gaps. The driver probably knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing, but was pushed into dealing with it pushed into making it work somehow and they got caught and now adding insult to injury, they've got to sit there and get trained. So as people who provide training, that's the worst situation for us. We just do not want to see people sitting in these environments where they're forced to do training that isn't appropriate for them. So yeah, I don't want uh, to be telling people things that they already know. And, yeah. and the fact that they have to be there is for something that was out of their control. That's or not it wasn't fair. really a lack of knowledge issue yeah. in the first place. Yeah. So I, I'm, I've also talked a bit about how I don't think these auto assignment things are a good idea. No. It's one thing to have training automatically assigned based on job roles and business structure and things like that. You know, if you're dealing with these customers, you automatically get this training. That makes perfect sense. And we have our system built to do that so that you can create all of these different, uh, basically, job templates with all the training assigned and deal with it that way. But having training that is triggered by different activities that happen out in the field is such a terrible idea because there's so many different factors that get involved in that. And I see... and. So many of these systems that are these like CSA scorecards and driver scorecards things, as soon as somebody uh, hits an alert on something, it's tied into the ECM. As soon as there's an alert on a hard braking, boom, the driver gets a speed and space course. Well, it's just the wrong answer in so many different ways. As soon as the driver has a bad lane change, they get put into a lane change training course, and it just is a disaster waiting to happen. It's just going to be a f- one failure after another. Well, people, it's just going to um, keep the whole churn thing going. Like people exactly. are going to leave. Well, and I was... When you get treated like that, when you get treated, when things are automatically happening to you that you can't prevent or mm-hmm. you can't control and that you don't necessarily like, because I wouldn't want to be assigned training based on something that I didn't really do. When you when you ignore that whole communication piece, when you don't have someone saying, you know, what happened? Are you are you okay? Is something going on? Um, you get angry, mm-hmm. and then when you get angry, you leave. And because people drivers are not are sort of really the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, people don't care. Well, what happens is you get a failure of management that gets pinned on the driver. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, whether it's the issues we were talking about with shippers or it's this triggering of training that's not really necessary, it's all management laziness or yes. management failures. And the driver eventually gets fed up. And I know what happens in these situations is that the companies that, that sort of espouse this type of integration and are in favor of it will say, well, our safety records are improving. Our safety numbers are getting better. We're having less heartbreaking. We're having less incidents, all of that kind of stuff. But they're missing the point because those things aren't improving because the process is working. Those things are improving either because they're terrorizing their drivers, uh, who the drivers are deathly afraid of doing anything, or the drivers that are in those situations are just leaving. And they've been lucky. So they're not really improving the overall situation. Well, they're probably also not looking at the safety improvement improvement and their recruiting their churn. Yeah. They're not they're not not looking at those two numbers. No, they're not improving. No, for sure. 
And this is, it's hard to, it is really hard to have a lot of moving parts. And when you have a trucking company, there's like, there's physical moving parts as opposed to all the moving parts that are, you know, part of your business. And what I think is that what management ends up doing is they end up in that whole silo mentality. So safety is very siloed. Operations can be very siloed. And we see this in Best Fleets where they talk about how they are trying to break down the silos Mm -hmm. and that it makes it a lot easier where recruiting spends time with safety, spends time with operations, and they, they can see how they all interact. And they can see where the actions of one department really negatively affect other departments. And what because all of these things, safety and operations and recruiting, all have touch points with the driver. It's the driver who ends up suffering because of the failures of all of those departments. Mm-hmm. So if um, safety is assigning training based on hard braking notifications, then that might affect operations because operations is going or the dispatchers are going to hear the complaining mm-hmm. but if the if operations doesn't necessarily tell safety that there are complaints safety's never going to know they're going to keep doing what they're doing and then recruiting is going to be you know hey we need to get you know 500 more drivers so it just ends up being this back and forth ping pong uh, game of whose fault is it and until the company sort of looks at their organ or their operation as a whole and sees how everything affects the driver and asks the driver how different things are affecting them, then it won't improve and people won't want to be in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have, uh, I've written several articles about that stuff and, and this week it was about, uh, you know, solving the right problem in terms of training and when it's not really a training issue and, uh, yeah, it's it's something that keeps coming up, but I, I think it's in some ways it's kind of the uh, um, you know training is the hammer that people have had, particularly when people have sort of moved, and I wonder if it's an evolutionary thing because before there was online options, everything was classroom training, or maybe videos, but the driver was sitting there at the terminal doing it, so it was hugely disrupted disruptive to the business, you only did the absolute bare minimum. Then along comes these online offerings, and now you've got a whole wide range of different courses. It's not disruptive, so the driver can do it whenever you like. And, you know, we've been talking about stop thinking of training as a a scarcity, start thinking of it as something that you can do a whole lot more of in a whole lot different ways. So then people start throwing training at everything. We got all this training out here. Uh, It's all available, so let's just do it for everything. Now the next level of that is to recognize training doesn't actually solve everything. There are some times where a infographic or a cheat sheet or a reference card is going to be way more effective. There are some times when it's or, not the training at all. It's another process in the company that needs to be fixed. Or management has to talk to management of another company. Yeah. It's basically a discussion that is you know five levels higher than you. Well, the thing that I always think about in terms of not really training, you know, going back to the seatbelt thing, they'd be way better off to have like a sticker or something inside the door or something that the driver sees right away that says, have you put your seatbelt on? That's going to do a lot more than putting somebody in front of a course when they're not even sitting in their seat. You know, they need that sort of performance support right when it's happening. Kind of like, um, 
you know, Rolf has always had this idea of cargo securement just being a set of diagrams. Here's the stuff that we haul. Here's what our trailers look like. Here's how those tie downs should be laid out. Here's the specific tie downs. Much easier way of mm-hmm. doing it. And it's, it's the same thing that you see if you go into a lot of fast food places. They don't spend a lot of time training their staff because they have such insane amounts of turnover. What they have is basically a diagram or an infographic of each thing on the menu. Here's how to assemble it. You've got uh, this type of bread and you've got this, this amount of lettuce and two tomatoes and that's your sandwich. And very simple. And it's right there when people need it. Uh, so it's timely. They're not taking them out of the taking them out of the kitchen, putting them in a course and saying, okay, well, now we're going to teach you how to make a sandwich. They're saying, okay, it comes time to make this one. You look over here at this, you follow the instructions and you do it. And eventually they just get doing it without even looking. But it's right there. It's timely. It's on the job performance support. It's way more effective. So I think uh, trucking in general could stand to sort of think about that a little bit more how to do those kind of things and where are the situations where that's going to work better than taking people out of the job and putting them into a training context. So Yeah, I would agree. And that's something that I'm thinking about how we can support it more. We have tools available already that they can upload documents and upload PowerPoints and things like that. But how can we make it so that they can have that kind of on-the-job support sort of available through an infographic or a diagram or something right when they need it, maybe through a mobile app or something. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about now is how to enable that. You know, I don't want to just tell people that they should be doing it and then leave them to figure it out for themselves. I want to provide the tools to do it. So I'm sort of starting to think about how to do that a little bit better. With seatbelts, I think most of the people who aren't wearing seatbelts are choosing not to wear seatbelts. So giving them training probably not going to do very much. Right. Well, and I was thinking there is a performance support for that already, which is the audible alert you get when you don't have the seatbelt on. But what do these people do? They, they tie it the, off. No, they put the seatbelt, they close oh. the seatbelt behind them and just sit on top of it. But, you know, there's other reasons for that. Why are they doing that? Why yeah. are they choosing not to wear well, a seatbelt? Yeah, that's what, that you know. would be a... I'm having a meeting with you. Why aren't you doing this? Yeah. And then find out what the reason is. Yeah. And is it because they're in a hurry? Uh, you know, I'm sure it's a lot of these old school people. It's uh, this is one of the things that drives me absolutely up the wall is not doing a very very simple thing because you're in a hurry, mm-hmm. like turning on your signal. Yeah. I don't understand how people don't signal. Like really. You've got you got that thing that's right beside your steering wheel. Yeah, how like hard Because you, you're following someone who's going like 30 kilometers or, you know, 10 miles under the speed limit. And so you think, okay, they're being, you know, super cautious. That's that's the nice mm-hmm. thing that you think about them. Yeah. So you're following them and following them and you hit a stop sign and then they just turn and you're like, okay, so you're, you're obviously don't want to speed, but you... Again, but on the other hand, you don't want to signal. So, like, which yeah. what, what are you what follow what are you following following? Yeah. They're just not following. They're just not thinking. Uh, just that drives me nuts. Yeah, and it's a, I guess it's the same thing with seatbelts. You can't say that you don't have time to put your seatbelt no. on, or you're somehow not. I I personally don't have the you're not as safe with your seatbelt on after being mangled in a car wreck. <laughs> Yeah. That basically I'd be dead if I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. Yeah, me too. 
Yeah, my car accident. Uh, yeah, that was the consensus. Is that when you flipped over? Yeah, when we rolled over. So there you go. So the people who think you're safer without a seatbelt, both of us would not be here without yeah. seatbelts. So yeah, that's garbage. Yeah. This is the polite phrase that I'll use yeah. for public consumption. And the thing is that maybe if they are older older people who are like, oh, I don't have to wear a seatbelt. And, you know, I know of this person who is alive just because they weren't wearing their seatbelt because it's the one in three million chance that, you know, you got thrown clear or whatever. There's way more cars on the road. Their roads are in a lot worse condition. Your congestion is huge. People are annoyed. It is a much different... Vehicles are way safer now than they were. Yeah, it's just... You're better off to be... It's just a it. whole different environment than it was 30 years ago when there was nobody on the road. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe if you didn't wear your seatbelt, yeah, maybe it wasn't that big a deal. I don't know. Yeah. No first responder is going to say, well, you know, I see a lot of times where people are really lucky they didn't have their seatbelt on. Yeah. Or, well, that, you know, I went to these crashes and these people with their belts on, man, they're dead. But if they hadn't had that seatbelt <laughs> and they'd been thrown clear of that vehicle, they'd be alive today. Yeah. Yeah. With you a don't head hear, injury from hell. You but... don't hear that from first responders. So there are other issues on the seatbelt. Yes. So it's not a training problem. So, well, so we ranted about quite a number of things. I know. When we didn't think we had anything to talk about. So I think we can come close to wrapping this up. But one last thing that I wanted to just uh, get a recap from you on Last time we did one of these, you were just about to go on the radio and do your TMC Tech Talk. Oh, yeah. Uh, how did that go? Uh, it went well. All, all right, then. And now <laughs> well, we're done. actually, if you want to, we are going to be getting the recording of that. Cool. So we'll be able to post it on our website. Oh, um, that's cool. I was going to talk to you about about that, about where we should put I can it. Put and, it on our LinkedIn page and things like that. Yeah, you can't oh, cool. have it stream but you can have it there for download so maybe we can have some clips in our podcast and talk yeah. about them all right and we can well, do that so this is a weird question to ask what do you think oh it went horribly yes you know Tell people were how you were people were silent and <laughs> and they and they vehemently disagreed with everything i said and it's called a normal me conversational question to say how did it go <laughs> tell us about the high and low points of it I can't, you know what, we did start talking about, um, it was right when that story came out where they were putting uh, implants in people. Um, Oh yeah, the tech company that's putting implants for security. For security, yeah. So you just have to wave your hand in front of a, I don't know, in front of a a sensor or something to get, you can Mm -hmm. get food, you can unlock doors, like all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And apparently like 70% of the staff were fine with it. Hmm. There's a large percentage, uh, more than I thought it would be. That's got to be very specialized work at that company. If they're thinking of doing that kind of thing, they're very security sensitive already. They're very yeah. conscious of that. They probably had a lot of security measures in place and probably... People were like, oh, thank you. Well, <laughs> they just give me, a, give me but, an implant. But they probably do a lot of background checks. And yeah. They've got a lot of sort of personal monitoring type stuff anyway. If certain types of tech are like that, they're very conscious of those things. So it's a convenience for the people. It's not really that much more intrusive than what they're already dealing with. So I can see some people saying, yeah, all right, it'll save me some time. Yeah, and I just have to wave my hand uh, in the cafeteria or to get into the door or just, you know, lift my hand or whatever. Sure, I'm all for it. So that's that was your that conversation. Makes me- 
No, well, actually, that's a conversation we had off air oh, okay. because uh, Dave had Dave it was Dave Nemo and Robert. Uh, I don't can't remember, remember his last name. Um, Apologies, Robert, yeah, if no, you're listening. I'm sorry, Robert. Uh, they had or they already talked about it that day. Like they had mm. just talked about it, so we were talking about it off air. And we were also talking about Star Trek, so oh. we were geeking out. <laughs> <laughs> so there, and there you was go. geeking. TMT, TMC yeah. Tech Talk is Star Trek and uh, body implants. No, well, then we were, you know what? I can't remember what we were talking about. <laughs> you talked about some work was, stuff on it. <laughs> well, I was still so amazed that somebody in trucking was uh, thought Star Trek was cool and was telling me the the uh, episode titles wow. of of certain episodes where because he was talking about how Star Trek sort of foreshadowed or what do you call it when uh, sort of predicted this mm. or or you know and and you never know if it's the chicken or the egg right you saw it in Star Trek so you develop it or right. did Star Trek actually predict all these technologies and that kind of thing but he was talking about how um, these different episodes had uh, that kind of artificial intelligence combined with mm. you know humanity and that kind of thing you know the the whole thing about taking your brain out and putting it in another right another receptacle and yeah. i just keep thinking of that that one where the three brains are sitting in the cave i, I don't, don't remember i don't remember that one i don't know he had all of the titles oh, okay. it was i don't i was it sounded like a true True geek, because right. I know people who can recite the names of Star Trek episodes. I am one of those people. But, you, uh, you don't remember the one with the brains in the in the cave, like all those the th maybe they weren't. Yeah, they were brains, just and they brains were on their own. Yeah, and they were connected to something else that was, and then Kirk was in there talking to them. I vaguely remember that. Yeah, you're losing your. I your wasn't nerd. so much on the original series. Okay, so. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, the binars then. They see that I know. Yeah, right the binars away. for sure. The uh, people who came to fix the Enterprise computers and ended up stealing it. Stealing Did they the steal it? All I remember is Riker playing the trombone in, <laughs> in the in the holodeck. So there you go. Now we've devolved. Oh nicely. yeah, and and there's a new Star Trek. Yep, coming so, this fall. Yeah, plus a female Doctor Who. Yes, the world is going crazy. Even though I don't really watch Doctor Who. I'm uh, I'm still intrigued. I watch the odd Doctor Who because yeah. our daughter is infatuated with it. But yeah. it's Star Trek. Is we will my... end up seeing most of those Doctor Who episodes one way or another. <laughs> we'll be in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> we'll at least listen to them. Yeah. So. Oh, and actually, our next uh, podcast will be after we go to Fan Expo. Yeah. The the true geek. Yeah. So that's event. we've got that coming in a couple of weeks. That has nothing to do with work, but it nothing. is just a giant convention full of nerds, um, sci fi, fantasy, gaming, anime, and anime. Yeah, and comic book nerds. Yeah. So this is our first time going, and we've but got a two day pass. It's packed. Yeah. I mean, it's huge, that thing huge is. Event. Yeah. There's a lot of nerds and closet nerds. So we'll see how many people we know there. I would say zero. Oh, yeah? Because we don't know any nerds? I don't know. Maybe. I think there would be, be lots of nerds there that we know. The question is, do we run into them? Or do we recognize them because they're going to all be <laughs> cosplaying? Yeah, they'll all have their costumes on. <laughs> they'll be dressed up as, well, Tim Curry's going to be there. 
Oh yeah, there's going to be lots of yeah. celebrities there doing yeah. autographs and sessions. So that's if we had gone last exciting. year, if we had gone last year, we could have seen Jillian Anderson. Yeah, your other people, your first girlfriend in your head, my first crush. Yes, <laughs> well, I don't know if it's my first, but yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, you like Jillian Anderson? I did, as did every nerd in the '90s. She was that's the ultimate true. on the X Files. I mean, that was that was the holy grail for nerds in the '90s. So. And with that lovely thought, I think we can probably wrap it up. Okay. So we will have a report from Fan Expo and some work stuff as well. Yes. And we'll well, we probably... talked mostly about work stuff. We did. So. so there we go. And so we wrap up another one. Okay. Live have long and day. prosper. Live long and prosper. <laughs>